If you have your Bible, we're going to look uh, this week at Luke chapter 15. Um, During the 9 o'clock service, I decided in my head that we're going to do this parable again at some point in the future, and we're going to take six weeks over it instead of three, because there's just so much in here. But this will be our last uh, sermon on the parable of the two sons, or the parable of the running father. And he said, I'm in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant and he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the older son said, Woohoo! And he went in and danced. I wish that was what had happened. But I think I understand Jesus' strong pushback on your and my religiousness. And he ends the parable with the eerie last couple of verses. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found would you pray with me Jesus you called these stories secrets of the kingdom and you purchased a kingdom for us of righteousness joy and peace Would you help us learn from this secret to enjoy the joy and peace and right living that you purchased for us? Free us from our religion and our irreligion. Amen.
So when I was a senior in high school, the power went out at our school, very mysteriously. And I was the first person that they went looking for. (laughs) 700 kids, K through 12, and they went looking for me first. And they found me in in in-house detention because I was already in trouble for something else. And I, in fact, had not shut the power down. I know who did. Um, And I doubt they listen to my sermons, but, you know, anyway. I was the first one that they looked for. At the same time, when I went to the University of Missouri in uh, Columbia and joined a large, raucous fraternity, I chose not to drink. The only guy in the house didn't drink. First story, maybe sounds like the younger son, a little bit wild living. Second story, what does that sound like if you have to pick one of the sons? I was thinking about something this week as I thought about this text and all of us who are trying to learn from Jesus in this text and I the Lord pointed something out to me I really 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 don't like to be celebrated Um, when I was ordained or installed here as the pastor um, I really made it difficult for our hospitality team and I've asked their forgiveness and they forgave me but I made it really difficult for our hospitality team and the reason is I don't like to be celebrated and one member of that team came up to me and put her hand on my shoulder and said you need to let us do this and so I did because I understand but as I was looking at the story of Luke 15 this week and noticing that I do not like to be celebrated where does that tendency come from? using this text as a guide Kind of sounds like the older brother to me. If you look on Facebook, you will not find out what day my birthday is. And I'm not about to say it in a live stream. But if you want to know, I'll tell you when it is. And hear that sigh? That's the part of me that the Holy Spirit is growing up even in this moment. Because the joy of this text is not just that you and I have irreligious tendencies where we think we know best and we run away from God. It's not just that you and I have religious tendencies where we run away from God through miserable duty. We are also being grown into running father-like women and men. That is good news. And if it doesn't intimidate you, you don't understand the text. You and I are being grown into men and women who love well. What happened to me earlier this week, by the way, is why we study the scripture. We go back to the scripture not just to understand what it says, but to do something that's even more profound and powerful than studying the scripture. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why our youth groups open the Bible together. This is why we study the scripture on Sunday mornings. It's not actually to study the scripture it is to let the scripture study us I was entirely convicted this morning or this earlier this week it was on Tuesday actually that I don't like to be celebrated and that's a piece of religiousness that the Lord needs to grow me out of I hope that you're familiar with the Bible and more importantly than that I hope that you let it study you Because in it, we are taught who God is and who we really are. The risen king is freeing you and I, not only from our irreligiousness and and, and religiousness, 
but into lives where we run after others the way that the Father does. We like to say on Easter that He is risen. And I won't keep doing this every Sunday. But for this series, I wanted to remind us that that's why we worship on Sunday. And every Sunday is a, is a day of resurrection, celebration, and power. I will stop doing that. But I want us to remember that it is not just in, on Easter. That we are so thankful that Jesus rose from the dead. The risen King frees us from our small stories. Because that's what we're doing. We're living a small story when we choose to run from the Father in either of the styles. There are two sons. There are two styles of running away from the Father. There's one Father and there's one party. And what we choose, when we choose to run away through thinking that we know best, and especially better than God, and what we choose, when we choose miserable duty, is a smaller story than the one that God calls us into as lovers of Him and of neighbor. Last week I focused exclusively on the younger son and I listened to my sermon because you all deserve good preaching and I long to get better at it and I was very bothered that I left something out. I want to focus on it for just a second. Many of us wonder not because of the way scripture is, but because of the way we are as humans. Whether there is a sin that will keep us from the embrace of God. And in spending a lot of effort last week talking about the ways that we think we know better than God, and the reason I did that is because most of us have not put $20,000 on our credit card and gone to Atlantic City. So maybe some of us have, and that was you know, a destructive decision. I put a lot of energy into describing the little ways that you and I are like the younger son. And I did not come back to the fact, not as clearly as I wish I would have, that there is no destructive decision that you make that blocks you from the Father's embrace. There is no destructive decision that I make that blocks me from His embrace. And in fact, those destructive decisions would lead us to a longer and longer and longer speech when we get back to the Father, right? And did you notice that the Father interrupts the Son I mean, you picture he's got the speech ready and he gets about halfway through it and the father puts his hand over his mouth and he just starts telling him to start preparing the party. Or maybe he's like, let's start preparing the party. Often you and I hurt ourselves, sometimes with planning, sometimes with not planning, and we are like the younger brother in that sense. The Holy Spirit is growing us out of that, but I want to be so abundantly clear. There is no sin that blocks us from the Father's love. Not even that one. There is no sin that stops Him from running to you and to me and embracing us and holding us and calling us His own. At the same time, I think if we keep sinning, we don't actually know that He loves us. That's another point. There's another way that we hurt ourselves and run from the Father, and that's through miserable duty. 
went through the Ten Commandments last week, and those of us that are more religiously wired know exactly how we have always kept all of the Lord's commands. And I'm hoping mostly by my tone of voice that you're catching that that's running from God too. That's running from the lavish love of the Father. Did you notice that the older brother has never celebrated with even a young goat? That's the way that I'm a little bit like him. I don't like to be celebrated. I kind of just want to do my duty and get on with things. It's not a good instinct. I can explain to you, I think, psychologically how that happened. But you know what's more incredible than whatever explanation I could give for that wiring? That's not very incredible. You know what's really incredible, though, is that there's hope. Why would Jesus teach this unless you and I can be grown out of these tendencies? One of the hardest things uh, to watch as a pastor are men and women in either the throes of miserable duty or addiction believe that there is no hope. The entire New Testament, page by page, would tell you that there's hope. For the addiction that you have not been able to kick, for the tendency in your heart that says, I'll be loved as long as I obey and always do all the right things, we are freed from both of those small stories into a greater one. I would encourage you, if there's ever a text to reread and reread and let it study you, I would encourage you to go back to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Read it slowly and carefully and prayerfully and conversationally with friends and see in it hope. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, which means there's hope. Even for that sin that you've never told anybody about. Even for that addiction. Even for the 49 years that you have thought, as long as I do my duty, everything will be okay. There is joy for those of us that are like the older son. And there is healing and hope for those of us that are like the younger. And the reality is we're all like both of them. And yet, the risen king frees us from our small stories into true freedom. Into men and women who know so deeply the love of the Father that we run after all the metaphorical and literal sons in our lives. It's actually why God instituted church. To give us a place to run after one another. To learn imperfectly... To be a spiritual family. Probably the one parable that is more famous than this one is the Good Samaritan. You remember the question Jesus is asking, who's my neighbor? The question Jesus is answering with that parable was, who is my neighbor? And he tells that story. And if you know that parable, you know the answer is anyone in need. I have great news for you. Everyone in this room is sitting in this room because they have some sense 
They may be not sure about Jesus, definitely not sure about this church because they've recognized that it's imperfect, but some sense of their need. And part of that need in God's providence is met in you and in me. You know, I'm smiling. How crazy is that? Like, the outside world, meaning those who are not followers of Jesus, they think it's crazy that you and I believe that Jesus both floated away and then went to a separate plane of existence called heaven, and that he's going to come back on a horse, because those are challenging things to believe. I think it's more challenging to recognize that he has left the care and the spreading of his good news to us. And he has asked us to learn to care for one another like loving fathers. I think that is more challenging than the fact that a carpenter from Nazareth floated away, a cloud covered him, and then he went physically to a separate plane of existence called heaven, and that he'll return and make all things new, although that is also challenging. And I want to point something out about the Father. Did you notice that he just doesn't get offended at his younger son? First, when his younger son says, I would prefer that you were dead and that I had all my money now. Then he spends all that inheritance on wild living. Then he comes back. The father doesn't even listen to his speech. I would want to hear the speech. Did you notice that he's not offended at the older brother? When someone comes at you and they start saying, I, 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 you, 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 how do you respond? I start talking about I and you back to them, right? That's what I do when you come to me and you're mad at me about something. I will tell you what I have done for this church or whatever. The father seems unoffendable to me. And you know why? It's not because he's checked out. There are people in your life that never get offended. It's because they don't care. That's not this father. He cares. He's watching for the younger son. He He leaves the party and goes to the older son. He entreats him. He listens to the whole barrage from the older son, by the way. Because you know, he knows you don't interrupt an older son or it's just over. Because they're so self-righteous anyway. If you interrupt him, you just give him more reason to be mad and resentful. But then he's not offended. And, and, and not offended doesn't mean he's not hurt. He's hurt. He's hurt by the younger son's destroying of his own life through wild living. He's hurt by the elder son's destroying of his own life through resentful duty and believing that that's why the father loves him and that's the only way he can continue to have the father's love is through obedience terribly destructive decision I believe that hurts the father I believe you and I are being grown into people that are not offendable that doesn't mean we're not passionate that doesn't mean we can't be hurt that doesn't mean we don't get angry and scared and sad and joyful and happy but there's a difference And I believe the difference comes through the humility, which actually means strength, but also clarity of who we are before God. The humility that comes with knowing that our sin is a big deal. And by a big deal, I mean it's death. And Jesus atoned for that sin. We move into actual humility, like the Father, where it's really hard to offend us. A 
I know that most of us are pretty hard to offend because we're so grown up and mature. But perhaps this is a question for our hearts. Perhaps this is a question we have not understood how the gospel impacts. Why? Why are we so easy to offend? I'm not talking about righteous anger. I'm talking about when you're offended. When you believe that you're entitled. When I believe I'm entitled to a certain kind of dialogue with people or a certain kind of political system or a certain kind of treatment at all times costs. True freedom according to the gospel of Jesus and according to the New Testament, according to Jesus, his words looks like men and women who are so confident in the Father's love that they move into their worlds with strength and humility. That is at least not easily offended and perhaps is even unoffendable. And if you don't understand where I'm getting that from the text, let me say it this way. There is no more offensive action that a young Jewish man could take against his father than the one described here. And all of us have been spoken to the way the older son speaks to the father. So we don't need any help understanding how offensive his speech is. I, 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 you, 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 your son, no ownership, all anger, spittle, probably. Maybe not because he was the older son. He was very composed. The risen king frees us from our small stories into true freedom as heirs of the kingdom. When you and I realize our need through loneliness, through pain we've caused others, through pain that others have brought to us. We look around the world and see its brokenness. Our instinct is often we should return to God as slaves. The younger son thought that because he had offended his father through crazy living. The older son had made himself a slave. He had self-imposed He lived in a self-imposed prison of duty. The running father interrupts the son, the younger son, to say, let's just have a big party. And to the older son, he says, all that is mine is yours. Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8, the way the Apostle Paul describes this is that you and I are not slaves Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we're sons and daughters and heirs of all that is His because of the love of the Father. When I prepare my sermons weekly and monthly and yearly and however you want to esteem it, I'm always working into the distance. I I long for there to be practical help for you and I because I'm aware of the practical help that we need. 
And yet, that pales incredibly compared to the news we need to be aware of and constantly remember. You and I need a lot of practical help in our places of business and in our relationships and in the way we handle life and stuff. But the greatest help to those things is to learn about the running father who frees us from our entitlement not into a lack of caring but into men and women who actually care more and are less offendable. Can you imagine your relationships if you're impossible to offend but have given up none of your convictions? What is it like to talk to your spouse if you know that God loves you and likes you that your sin was incredibly, deathly, costly to Jesus. And he calls you a son or a daughter of him because of the work of Christ. Then you're unoffendable. And I am unoffendable, or at least significantly harder to offend. What are my fights like with my wife? I know some of you are the, we don't ever fight. How do you get anything done? Good grief. No offense to those of you that don't fight. I just I don't understand how you get it, how you get anything done. I know that most of you don't ever have arguments with your children because you're such terrific parents, but I have arguments with my children. We had 3 during church this morning. What am I like as a father? If my children cannot offend me because I remember that God loves me and likes me and calls me his own and has fully atoned for my sin and sent me back into the world as a follower of him. I know that none of you struggle to get along with your parents because they were spectacular and are spectacular, but I do. What are my conversations like with my parents? if I know that I'm loved and liked by the Father. Know that my sin was a big deal and yet it's fully atoned for because of the work of Jesus Christ. I have the same convictions and yet I'm not offendable. That's because the news about Jesus is not only the only news, if it's news, but it affects everything. It frees us into real life in every room of our lives, literal and metaphorical. We're in a continuing trusting relationship with Jesus where we say to him, I trust you with my heart and with my decisions. You're like, I prayed that prayer 50 years ago. Good, pray it again because it frees us into the work of the Holy Spirit which is turning you and I into running fathers and mothers. And so my encouragement, instead of practical advice, this is practical advice, but it it transcends that. My encouragement is learn to preach the gospel to your own soul. You know, like you say that all the time. That's because I believe that's the key to you and I enjoying the kingdom that's purchased for us. That's because I learned to do it after listening to a guy tell me for four years, the fifth year after he went to another church, I started doing it. I was like, ah... That was a pleasant noise, by the way. 
and learn to begin to preach the gospel to myself. And the story of the two sons, the story of the running father, is a glorious way to remember it because it shows us our tendencies and reminds us that God is freeing us from those into real freedom. Freedom from loneliness into relationship with Him. Freedom from our small stories into a grand story. Freedom from being offended all the time into passionate men and women who are at the same time almost unoffendable. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us Would you help us to see the work of your Holy Spirit even now? Growing us up into men and women who know how to, without being overly tough or enabling, how to run after people. Would you help us to sense that you're growing us in passion and in unoffendableness at the same time? For those that are considering your gospel, Lord, I ask that you would make it clear to them. For those of us that have been trusting your gospel for a long time, I ask that you would make it clear to us that we might live lives of life as you turn us into running fathers. Amen.